Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and making up for last week's missed episode, I'm going to be covering a bunch of stuff this week. Uh, first off, we've got Howard, the documentary about Howard Ashman on Disney+. Plus. Animal Crackers, the long-belated movie from 2017 finally making it to Netflix. Muppets Now, the latest Muppet television series uh, exclusive to Disney+. Plus. Central Park, the Apple TV Plus uh, uh, official series, you know, exclusive series from Lauren Bouchard and Josh Gad. Uh, plus, I talk about Chowder and Kung Fu Panda and Harley Quinn, as well as Jurassic Park and the Lost World Jurassic Park. Uh, like I said, making up for lost time. So let's get things started. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. All right. As I mentioned, uh, we missed last week because of illnesses and, you know, unforeseen circumstances. And so this week I just tried to catch up on as much as I could. And there's been a bunch of stuff coming out. And one of the most recent ones was a documentary that was actually made two years ago uh, that finally made it to Disney Plus about Howard Ashman. For those who don't know, Howard Ashman was a lyricist who mainly worked with Alan Menken. And Alan Menken's main, uh, main output from Disney, as well as, even though it wasn't mentioned, Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue... Uh, the lyrics were done by um, Howard Ashman. It's the same thing with uh, Tim Rice and uh, Elton John, that sort of collaboration. So Alan Menken is still with us, but Howard Ashman led an interesting and tragically short life, as the documentary talked about. Um, fun fact, for those who didn't know, he was also the one who wrote the lyrics. I believe Alan Menken also did the music for that one, but I'm not sure. But Howard Ashman was the one who converted Little Shop of Horrors from a Roger Corman B-movie from the 60s into the musical we know and love today. So they actually talk about that as his, like, first real major success, and it's really interesting, because, like, they go to his backstory as a kid, and he loved putting on productions and shows. He wrote his own plays. He was that kind of theater kid. And so it was inevitable that he went into actual theater as an adult. But what was interesting that his family never shies away from was that he was in... Gay relation, openly gay relationships, or maybe closeted gay, but his, like family were aware of it. But he was in gay relationships going back to the seventies, and his family was, you know, open about it and supportive, and you know they loved these the partners he had, and it was that's really touching to hear that his family wasn't like super judgmental about it at all. That it was just like, and maybe they were, but we didn't cut, they, they, but they didn't sound like that. It sounded like his sister, especially, and his mom, uh, were very fond of his partners, and um, he actually did fund and found his own uh, theater company in New York. He, like, he took an old abandoned building, took like gutted it out, and turned it into a ninety seat like black box theater in like the seventies. It was that's cr- you know it's kind of crazy to hear hear about. Uh, but one of the things he actually did that I didn't even I never even heard about. Um, God, what was, what was the name of it? Uh, it was a Kurt Vonnegut short story, or maybe full length story. I'm not sure. Um, but he adapted it into a musical, and, like, he, they bring up a point where, like, Kurt Vonnegut even came to see it and loved it, and I've never even heard of it. Um, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater is is the musical. 
and it's based off of the novel of the same name. Um, the uh, premise of that being uh, da da da, Indiana uh, senator founds a, founds um, the, an organization to help uh, Rosewater descendants avoid paying taxes on family on the family estate. Uh, operated by the, a large legal firm in New York and provides an annual pension to the son. Um, the son has developed a social conscience, sets across America visiting various small towns before landing in Rosewater, uh, and his drunkenness, uh, generous relationship with the poor, and his odd relationship with his wife make him appear eccentric and mentally ill. Uh, a conniving lawyer named Norman Mushari is de- is determined to prove Elliot insane so he can reroute the por- a portion of the Rosewater fortune to distant cousins in Rhode Island and earn a portion of that himself. After experiencing a breakdown, Elliot spends a year in a mental institution and he's visited by his father, lawyer, and Kilgore Trout, uh, his favorite science fiction author. He wills his fortune to 57 children whose mothers have claimed he fathered and asks that they be fruitful and multiply. Sounds like a Kurt Vonnegut story, all right? Yeah, very uh, socially conscious and satirical while also um, being completely bananas. Like his story, his book about World War II is also about aliens putting you, putting a guy, putting the soldier in a zoo. So, I mean, yeah, Kurt Vonnegut's, he's he's a guy who I'm surprised I haven't made a movie about. Um, also, the novel's uh, subtitle is Pearls Before Swine. So, yeah, um, that sounds interesting. And the musical I heard uh, was actually pretty good. I have to listen to the soundtrack at some point. But, yeah, he basically turned that story into, like, an off-Broadway musical. And apparently people love it. Anyway, um... Uh, from that, he did. Uh, from there, he went on to Little Shop of Horrors, and during this time, he was also seeing the f- first firsthand the ra- you know the 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 ravages of the AIDS epidemic. He lost his partners. He lost uh, his. He, he lost a good friend to the AIDS crisis, and it and it's and eventually he would succumb to it, and so. Um, after the after a failed attempt to adapt the what was it? It was a movie called Smile. Jody Benson actually appeared in the um in the uh, she auditioned for it. It was in the uh what do you call it the um production run whatever that is. It's uh, Hamilton did the same thing where Nika Nani Rose played uh Eli- it played um not Eliza uh, Angelica uh. Whatever that run is is called, but uh, he was adapting an old movie. Is it this one? 1975 satirical comedy drama by Michael Ritchie. This is the one about a beauty pageant. Uh, Bruce Stern, Barbara Feldon, and Melanie Griffith. Um, yeah, uh, Howard worked with Marvin Hamlish in the musical, but it never really got picked up. Uh... Because he actually did it for David Geffen and a bunch of other like produ- big wig producers, and they were all, they all got cold feet for some reason. But uh, uh, I don't know. I have no idea if it's any good. Uh, it was only in like one those little early stage productions off Broadway, but it never really got off the ground. I don't think. I don't. Know, but Jody Benson uh, was in that one, and ironically. Uh, 
or coincidentally, but yeah, the, he Jody Benson was also featured in the documentary. The way the documentary works is it's mainly images and uh, archival footage with the interview audio played over it. So there's no in-person interviews for some reason. It's interesting. Uh, I don't mind it, but it's kind of off-putting and sort of cold. It feels like a Ken Burns style thing. So, I mean, if you're into that style, go for it. it this is up your alley. But um, Jody Benson was friends with Howard until the end. And so after doing this production of Smile, uh, she eventually, they, they got to work together again when Disney approached him to come work for them back when they were doing the animation out of a trail. The animation department was housed out of a trailer. <laughs> oh, God, the 80s were bad for Disney. Uh, but thankfully, with Howard and Alan Menken on board, um, they started to turn things up a bit, especially with Jeffrey Kassenberg. Uh, Katzenberg was featured in the documentary as well, since he was kind of the head of Disney leading into the Renaissance and was kind of partially responsible for the Renaissance. And and thanks to Howard Ashman and uh, Alan Menken, we got some of the most iconic song sequences. And I mean, like Howard Ashman is, a, is specifically who we have to thank for Aladdin being what it is. Uh, he wrote the the treatment for it in 1988. Before, while they were working on uh, Little Mermaid, he was already he had already written the treatment for Aladdin, and he most of the songs were already there, and it's just a matter of fine tuning it into what we eventually got. But unfortunately, it was um, in 1991 that while uh, right after Beauty and the Beast was finishing production and getting ready to be released, that Howard finally succumbed to uh, AIDS. And he managed to keep it to himself and his, you know, his partner and his family. Like, none of the people at Disney knew, and he was afraid to tell them because he was he was afraid to even get tested because he thought, because his healthcare was tied to his work, and if he got tested, then he would have lost his job and he would have lost, and they, they, he even said that his HMO probably wouldn't have even covered an AIDS test, and, an HIV test, and so... It re like the fact that he was afraid to even get tested, it really shows how bad that whole the AIDS, the the AIDS epidemic was, and eventually he you know at, he began to lose weight. He was irritable. There was one point where he was working with Alan Menken on something. He had his Walkman there, and all of a sudden he throw he gets irate and throws the Walkman at the wall and storms out. And Alan Menken was like, oh my god, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? Is What happened? And he didn't even realize that it's because Howard is, you know, is he, he's an emotional wreck because he wants to do all of these things for Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and, you know, so many other... And he probably wants to do other things as well. But unfortunately, all of this, all, you know, he can't do anything. You know, he's, he's limited because... Of his health and his health is deteriorating every day eventually he was even working on beauty and the beast on his hospital bed and so event so he passed away in 1991 and beauty and the beast was dedicated to him and when they won the oscar uh for best for uh he won the oscar for best uh he actually l learned he was hiv positive just before a big conference and he still went to the conference acting like nothing was wrong and he was he slowly began to deteriorate as time went on and, and it's eventually by the end he was finally coming out coming you know out to people that he had aids and they you know he, he had to do his work from the hospital bed and 
it really is a tragic story, and he was such an amazing, amazing talent. And I feel like we even we just barely scratched the surface of just how you know you know of this guy. And yeah, if you if you want to get into get into the head of pretty much one the one of the masterminds of the of the Disney Disney Renaissance, then. Definitely check this out. It's not like an amazing documentary. There's better documentaries out there, but it's a lovely tribute to Howard Ashman. Um, On the opposite end of that spectrum, here's a movie that was released that was originally made in 2017 that didn't get an official release until this the couple about a week ago or so on Netflix. Apparently, IDW Comics has its own publishing. Uh, its own production studio. That's that. When I looked them up, uh, they were listed as part of IDW for some reason. But uh, Blue Dream, I think they're based out of Portugal or Spain. Let me get the uh, wiki for them. That's a movie. That's a cannabis thing. Let me pull up the Animal Crackers because I've heard about this for years. I've been hearing about this movie and dreading it. Since I first saw the trailer for it. And it was originally released in China in 2018. It had a small release in 2017. But didn't get released um, widely outside of China until tw- until this... Until uh, Ju- uh, July 24th. So a couple weeks ago on Netflix. Um, Blue Dream Studios. There we go. Uh, IDW Publish... Yeah, IDW Publishing. Uh, ba So, where's the... What is Blue Dream... Why does Blue Dream tie back into IDW? What is the connection? What is the connection? Like, IDW has a bunch of stuff that's been adapted, but why is Blue Dream Studios being directed to IDW Publishing? Like, like I don't even think Animal Crackers was an IDW book. Is that like a? Is, I think I found a glitch in um, in uh, the Wikipedia. Blue Dream Studios. Blue Sky Studios. Yeah, I found a glitch in uh, the Wikipedia. Somebody tagged IDW for some reason. Let me take a look at. Here we go. Let me look at their website. About Us. They were founded in 2000. Um, They worked on Casper the Friendly Ghost, Spider-Man, Star Wars, Star Trek. And then this seems to be their first major major motion picture. Based out of Valencia. Valencia, Spain. Uh, They're adapting... uh, It's based on a graphic novel from 2014. Uh... Not 2014? When did the book come out? Da, 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 based on the book by... Loosely based on the graphic novel. Uh, the guy who wrote the graphic novel, uh, Scott Christian Sava, is the one directing it. But when did he write that? It doesn't say when it came out, but it's an interesting looking graphic novel. Uh, doesn't look like it has any real relation to 
the motion picture. But um, that's not unusual. At any rate, uh, the basic premise is um, the this couple uh, is it has ties to the circus, and after the leads of the circus die, supposedly, um, not to give too much away, but yeah, after. The, after the people in charge of the circus pass on, uh, it's they find out the secret of the circus were these magical animal crackers that when you eat it, you become the animal. And so it the um, the lead role the lead role uh, played by John Krasinski is eventually becomes the star attraction in the circus. And while this is going on, his wife, played by his actual wife Emily Blunt, uh, is her dad's. Dog Biscuit Factory is um is trying to keep her in legitimate business because he doesn't approve approve of the circus and uh, meanwhile Raven Simone's in there as a madcap scientist who's trying to make dog biscuits that taste good at I don't get it either but um but they've been do that's a major subplot and then eventually it becomes a thing at the end. But um, you've got an amazing cast in this with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Ian McKellen is the villain who plays the brother of the, of the, um, but the, they were basically two brothers. Ian McKellen was the older brother and he had eyes for this uh, fortune teller. They don't come right out and say it. Uh, they, they drop Gypsy at one point, but they're, they're basically Romani fortune tellers and uh, the mom is played by uh, Harvey Firestein, and the daughter is played by Tara Strong. And also, um, what's his name? Oh, God. Oh, God, he's a voice actor. He's in all kinds of stuff. Crap, what's his name? Uh, what is his name? James Arnold Taylor. Yeah, James Arnold Taylor is, like, another go-to voice actor. Uh, he plays Ratchet and Ratchet and Clank. Uh, he does the voice for Obi-Wan Kenobi when Ewan McGregor isn't doing it. So, like, in, he does it in Clone Wars and the video games and such. He's the voice of Johnny Test. So, yeah, this guy's been doing voice acting for a long time. You'll definitely hear, you've definitely heard his voice, even if you don't know him. But, um, but yeah, the brother is James Earl Taylor, and Ian McKellen is jealous because somehow the brother got in charge of, stayed in charge of the circus, even though he, even though he married the fortune teller uh, daughter that he was in love with, and somehow there, there's another sibling involved because uh, uh, John Krasinski's character is actually the nephew of um, James Earl Taylor's character, but they don't mention how they because he's not. Ian McKellen's son. So, is there a there's another sibling out there that we don't know about because um, John Krasinski is the nephew of both Ian Mc, Ian McKellen and James Arnold Taylor. Anyway, it's confusing and not very interesting. At any rate, Ian McKellen is all jealous because and he was and he's looking to take over the circus now that his brother is dead. And then um, Danny DeVito is kind of like the wise old teacher who's like an old clown that's been in the circus forever. And he's kind of the one guiding um, the, uh, the, cup, the leading couple on, their, on, on the you know, ups and downs of the circus. And 
Meanwhile, Ian McKellen is trying to bring down the circus, especially after they find out the secret is these animal crackers. Uh, while that's going on, Patrick Warburton shows up as this douchey um, executive over with Wallace Shawn's Dog Biscuit Company. And he keeps, sabot- for some reason, he keeps sabotaging Raven Simone's project, but we don't understand why. I guess we're just supposed to assume that it's because he's a douchebag. Um, but yeah, it's 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 weird. It's weird and madcap and all over. This feels like it's they had ideas for like a series that they never got the chance to make, and so all of the individual episodes of that series were all crammed into the movie because it is all over the place, from the animal crackers bit uh, to the dog biscuit stuff. And then eventually, all of a sudden, um, the daughter take uh, Zoe takes over. Uh, Elmo Blunt's character takes over the circus, and then the you know John Krasinski's character is brought is finally brought in as the animal performer for some reason, even though he has no actual training. And then there's a whole montage where he can do things that you be, shouldn't be able to do, but he but sure it's magic, whatever. We don't have to explain anything. Um, it's all done to a Queen song, too, because, sure, why not? Let's waste money on getting that sample in. <laughs> but, um... Then all... Then all... Then, then, and, and then the villain's plot becomes... Uh, not just to take over the circus, but then to take over the world! Because, sure, why not? It's it's so many plots just crammed into the same movie, and it's just like... I don't know what's going on, and I really don't care. It's not even this is bad. The animation studio did a good job. It's a really good-looking movie, but and it's a star-studded cast. Krasinski and Blunt and Ian McKellen is great and Danny DeVito. Sylvester Stallone it does like an it's given like a group role where all he says is Bullet Man because he's the human cannibal and apparently he suffered so much brain damage that he can only say his name. Um, although at some point he does say uh, that he does quote Shakespeare because. You know, that's the bit, is that now all of a sudden he can quote Shakespeare. Uh, Raven Simone is unrecognizable. She's great. Wallace Shawn is fun. Gilbert Gottfried's in here as a henchman. Uh, Harvey Firestein is solid. Uh, James Earl Taylor and uh, Tara Strong are good. It's just... The writing is the problem. And if they had, you know, focused and had an idea of the one story they wanted to tell instead of all of these random plots crammed together, I think this could have been an even better movie. And I feel it kind of, and honestly, um, Saber Spark kind of made, made it, um, made a, cor- made a correlation to Wonder Park. Cause even, uh, cause when, um, Krasinski's character turns into a bear, he looks like the bear from Wonder Park. And it does kind of feel that Wonder Park sort of like, please pick us up. This feels like a, a backdoor TV animated series pilot more than anything else. And maybe they weren't intending that. Maybe they did want to make a major big budget movie, but I can get, I get the feeling um, that nobody really cared about this other than the creators. And, and then even so the creators didn't exactly make an amazing thing. The creators did did their best, but I feel like they needed more, fine-tuning it just it's it feels half done it feels and that goes back to the writing stage the animation stuff the voice acting that's fine but from the beginning it needed more crafting and making into a better movie it's it feels more on par with an illumination movie than anything else 
And maybe that's what they were going for. But um, hey, if the studio does, hey, if this does well enough on Netflix, they can, you know, get picked up for another project or they can try another project down the line. Then I wish them the best of luck. I'd love to see what else they can do. But it's just a matter of, you know, getting a project that isn't because that's the thing. First, this movie was slated to be released by, let me see, there's a whole, there's a whole drama. Uh, Relativity Media was supposed to release it. And then the company went under and had financial issues and they couldn't release it. So they sold off the rights to Serafini, which is this young upstart release, uh, releasing distributor sort of thing. And then they got shut down before the end of 2017. And so entertainment studios, you know, the ones that I always say it feels like it's not in a real studio and that it's actually a front for some kind of, you know, money laundering scheme. But um, they all, but basically they're the studio behind, where's their, oh my god, there's so much stuff. Why do they have so much stuff? Uh, but they're behind uh, 47 meters down. Oh my god, they did Arctic Dogs. Oh my god. Uh, Chappaquiddick, Hurricane Heist, Friend Request. Hostiles. They have like two good movies, um, essentially. But Entertainment Studios uh, decided not to uh, release it. They dropped it, uh, and event and it got kind of sat there in limbo, trying to get a distributor until Netflix picked it up um, in twenty this year, and they put it on Netflix in uh, on July twenty fourth, and it was the second most streamed um, movie on the on the service. So I mean. Hey, hopefully that means that they can get some new work. Uh, hopefully this means that they, even though it wasn't like a major financial or critical success, the studio can find some success. The studio can find the, the next gig because they did they did a good job. It's just you can't fix a bad script in post. That's all I'm saying. You know, if the script is bad, the end product's not going to be much better. Anyway, uh, back to Disney Plus. We are, I watched the new Muppet series and. I'm hooked, but I'm not like a, I'm not into it. It's not my favorite series. I still want a variety show, but I, I had the feeling that, um, and I think Tony Goldmark, um, over, uh, on that jerk with the camera and, um, he does escape the, from the Disney vault, uh, which is a podcast I need to check out, but I'm a year behind on all my other podcasts. At any rate, um, I think he brought it up that this is kind of the, modern day equivalent to the Muppet show in that the Muppet show was birthed out of an era that everybody had a variety show. Ask your parents, kids, or if you're from the seventies or if you grew up in the seventies and sixties, you will remember literally everybody and their mom had a variety show. Everybody had variety shows. And that's why the Muppet show was a variety show because everybody was doing variety shows. Now, pretty much SNL has the game on variety shows. And while I would love an SNL-style variety show, they this is kind of the equivalent of how The Muppet Show came about, where The Muppet Show was built out of the what was going on at the time. So now the big thing is YouTube and vlogs and internet sketches. So it's The Muppet doing that sort of thing. And that's what they've been kind of doing for YouTube since they were kind of rebooted uh, with the new movie. They've been doing little internet sketches that are great, and now they have this segment they show, which is multiple segments of the Muppets. And so there's some recurring ones with, like, the Swedish Chef and Miss Piggy. Uh, they introduced in the, in the most recent episode uh, Bunts and Honeydew and Beaker and Beak R, 
the automated assistant. Uh, and basically all that segment was was a giant flamethrower that burnt things to a crisp. Oh, it was so beautiful. Um, but like the but like that bit is about the science of burning versus melting. And so they kind of do a basic explanation of the science behind it. And then the set, the um, cooking segments with the Swedish chef, like the first one, they had an actual celebrity chef. I forget her name. Um, let me pull up the um, the cast list for the first episode. But um, the second episode had Danny Trejo cooking um, like a street style taco, I believe. But um, let me see. That's the Muppet performers. Uh Where's the episode? Here we go. Uh, Carlina Will is the uh, chef's name. And she did like a Jamaican style uh, chicken curry or curried chicken. And so this, this ep- the most recent episode had Danny Trejo cooking a sort of like taco, uh, some kind of taco. I forget what though. And so the joke there became mustache versus mustache. <laughs> but every time the Swedish chef like screws it up, like the first time when he was going up against uh carlina will he ended up just ordering doordash and getting it picked up um when he was going up against danny trejo he he eats the spicy some spicy like pepper or something and he has to drink milk because his mouth is on fire oh god it's beautiful um uh they have an they have an interview, interview segment featuring uh walter from the Muppet, from the new Muppet movies, they have Miss Picky does these uh, like vlog, personal style vlogs uh, with with uh, Tay Diggs and Linda Cardellini. <laughs> They're just like recurring guests on the show. I love it. Tay Diggs and Linda Cardellini are friends with Miss Picky, and they just show up. <laughs> I love it. Um, uh, RuPaul shows up in the in the uh, pro, uh, pilot episode. In fact, that segment's on YouTube. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's great. It's like, it is, and, uh, I, I agree with Tony that it's kind of the modern day equivalent of what the Muppet Show would be, considering that the Muppet Show was aping the style of the time, which was, uh, variety shows. Here, the Muppets are doing YouTube videos, essentially, but it's all collected under one thing, so it's every, everything's like a sketch. So it's like an online sketch comedy show. And I love it. I love it so far. I can't wait to see. There's only, I think, eight episodes or five. Uh, six, okay, there's six episodes announced uh, so far. And I'm hoping once, you know, the the gestures at everything uh, starts to um, wind down and they can go back to making more episodes, we can have like a, se- a longer, a second half of season one or something like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. I'm digging what they're what they're uh, dishing out. So uh, I'll be updating you weekly, essentially, uh, with all the new Muppet nows. Uh, but going over to the one of the lesser streaming services, we're cover. I'm going back to Apple TV Plus with one of my favorite new shows, uh, Central Park. Lauren Bouchard, creator of Bob's Burgers, and Josh Gad teamed up to make a musical animated series that's basically. In the style of Bob's Burgers, but with more fluid animation, like, there's a lot more in-betweens and there's a lot more, like, motion in the animation this time. But uh, the basic premise is you have a mixed family uh, starring, there's a whole, like, seriously, there's a whole bunch of Hamilton people in this series. You've got Leslie Odom Jr., 
Let me get the... Here we go, TV series. You've got Leslie Odom Jr. as the dad. You've got uh, David Diggs as the assistant to the main antagonist of the series. Um, what's his name? Uh, oh God, the guy who plays uh, Christopher Jackson, the guy who plays Washington. So you've got Aaron Burr and Washington and Thomas Jefferson. From Hamilton, all showing up at some point. <laughs> but you've got Catherine Hahn uh, from the Bad Mom series as as the mom who's a reporter for this, you know, lesser newspaper. And she's trying to be a, a serious reporter, but her but her uh, editor is always telling her to post, you know, write about garbage. Um, Titus Burgess from uh, Kimmy Schmidt is the son who's kind of like a more eccentric version of Gene. Uh, that's the best way I can describe him. But uh, then you. But for the first season, you have. Oh my God! They've already recast. They've already got a, the name. Uh, for the first season, the daughter, the main character, um, is played by Kristen Bell, and they during the um, during this whole time uh, as the series has come to as the first season has come to an end. Uh, Lauren Bouchard has been you know talking more about having better representation in his shows. So Marshmallow, the trans woman, the black trans woman on Bob's Burgers is going to be recast because she was initially played by David Herman in the show. And so for future appearances, she's going to be played by a tra- black trans woman. And now, um, Molly, as such, he said Molly is going to the main character in Central Park is going to be recast to be played by a black actress who is go and that actress is Emmy Raver Lampman, who was also in Hamilton. I'm sorry, who was she in Hamilton? Okay, she was part of the ensemble, uh, and she was an understudy for uh, Angelica, and actually played Angelica in the uh, first national tour. Good for her, uh, for the uh, 2016-17 tour. So yeah, uh, wait a minute. Was she who I think she was? There was, there was um, articles going around about one of the ensemble members being like this super important uh, role. Hold on a second. Okay, I found the article. It was for Digital Spy. Basically, it was everybody's talking about The Bullet. And that was played by Ariana DeBose. Um, so that has nothing to do with what we were talking about. So at least I know what the hell that article was about. This important character in the ensemble is its just The Bullet. It's just their way of talking about The Bullet. At any rate, uh, let's go back to frickin', um Central Park. Uh oh, I hear a cat. Anyway, let's get back to Central Park because yeah, um, another that means another Hamilton alum has joined the series. <laughs> yeah, we have an ensemble member from Hamilton um, playing Molly next season. Uh, as mentioned, Emmy Raver Lampman. Uh, but she's probably better known now uh, for playing Allison Hargreaves in Umbrella Academy. So while she, you know, was in the ensemble for Hamilton, uh, she was apparently also in the touring of uh, the tour for Wicked and Jekyll and Hyde. So I mean, she's been mainly a theater uh, person, but yeah, she's going to be taking over for Molly, and I think. Um, 
Kristen Bell's just going to play a new role. I don't think they're going to get rid of her entirely because that she's Kristen Bell. It's an amazing voice. Just make her like the new person at the new park worker or something. But yeah, um, Emmy Raver Lampman is going to be playing Molly uh, next season. I'm very interested to see how she does it because yeah, Molly's a very interesting character. Basically, um, Molly is kind of like she is a little like Tina from Bob's Burgers in that she's awkward and not great with boys, but she, instead of, like, doing the zombie fan fiction stuff, Mo uh, Molly draws comic books, and so she has a, a hero persona called Fistapuffs because she has uh, her hair in these two puffs, like, puff-like pigtails or whatever they're called. Um, and, she, and so her character uses those as, like, fists, and I love it. And so... Her love interest, played by Eugene Cordero, who's been a recurring actor on uh, Bob's Burgers, as well as just a whole bunch of stuff. He's been in all kinds of stuff. Mike and Dave need wedding dates, Kong Skull Island, The King of Summer, The New Ghostbuster. Wait. Yeah, the the 2016 Ghostbusters. Uh, he's been on Steven Universe. Um, apparently some character named Jamie, for those who, do, who, know, who know who that is. He's going to be on, um, oh my god, is he the lead in Star Trek Lower Decks? I think he is. No, um, wait. Okay, yeah, no, he's some other, uh, Jack Quaid is the one I'm thinking of, because there's Tawny Newsom as the, uh, as the, as the one who's drunk in the teaser, and then, uh, Jack Quaid plays the character who's all, all nerdy and wants to be a captain someday. You know... A Lower Decks, the Star Trek parody that's officially canon, apparently. Anyway, uh, no, or Eugene Cordero's in that, too. Um, but here he plays the uh, love interest for Molly, who flies his kite, so his superhero persona is Kite Boy. Uh, probably he'll grow up to become Kite Man, but we'll talk about him later. Anyway, uh, David Herman uh, shows up, H. John Benjamin shows up, Brian Husky, a whole bunch of... Um, uh, Bob's Burgers alums show up, but Josh Gad uh, plays the narrator, and his role is very interesting because he's like a fourth wall breaking narrator, narrator who narrator uh, who goes in and out of the story and helps out where he can. And at one point, he stops becoming the narrator because supposedly he broke the rules <laughs> of being a narrator, and so he has to earn them back. It's really interesting. But yeah, the whole premise is Stanley Tucci plays an old billionaire woman who wants to buy up Central Park and sell it for real estate. And the whole series is about her many attempts to do that and how she has the mayor in her pocket and all these, you know, she has all this going on. And H. John Benjamin is the mayor. Um, Ed Asner shows up as uh, as uh, Bitsy, Stanley Tucci's character's brother. Stephanie Beatrice shows up as a friend, who's also in Bob's Burgers. Fred Armisen is a couple of characters. Uh, Ron Funches shows up. Uh, like I mentioned, Christopher Jackson, the guy who plays George Washington in Hamilton. Audra McDonald, uh, who's a Broadway actress, shows up as one at one point. Um, Robin Thede, uh, Thede, I believe, uh, who I remember from The Nightly Show. Uh, who also hosts her own show on BET, I believe? Yeah, The Rundown with Robin Thede on BET. I need to watch that. I, I, I loved her on The Nightly Show. I need to see that show if it's any good. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you've got all of these 
recur- characters who are, if you're familiar with Bob's Burgers, then you'll recognize them. And then an amazing um, uh, main cast here. Stanley Tucci is just, he's unrecognizable as Bitsy. He's just this crotchety old lady and it's beautiful. Uh, he's got an amazing singing voice with it too. So, I mean, you got him playing off of David Diggs as like the monotone assistant who wants to kill uh, Bitsy. Um, Catherine Hahn has this amazing voice, uh, and she's often singing alongside Leslie Odom Jr. Um, Titus Burgess is great in his singing roles. There's a fun bit, uh, in one of the lighter episodes of the season is basically Game of Thrones meets Redwall, and, uh, Titus Burgess's Cole is all into it, and so Leslie Odom Jr.'s Owen has to get into this kid's Game of Thrones, Redwall meets Game of Thrones book, so he can be, you know, be a better parent, uh, because they're doing, like, this thing where they get to meet the author, uh, who's also played by Titus Burgess. <laughs> it's just a great show, man. Like, if there's anything to get you to watch Apple TV+, Plus, it's this. And, yeah, I can't wait for season two. I'm really excited. So, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I like it more than Bob's Burgers, but so far, Lauren Burchard is two for two for me. Anyway, uh, I went as for rewatches. I went back and... Well, actually, let's skip the rewatches and do them last. Uh, speaking of Kite Man, let's get into Harley Quinn, because I watched both seasons. Um, they added it to HBO Max, because they think DC is wisely doing away with DC Universe, and I think they're going to move all of the original programming to HBO Max, which honestly makes sense. You don't... DC Universe was already niche. It would be like Disney having a Marvel-specific streaming service... And Disney Plus. It just, it's too, it's too, I mean, why waste your money trying to keep both up and running? Anyway, um, I was initially turned off because it felt like it was the teenager's version of adult where it's just like, yeah, there's blood and goods and everybody says the F word a lot and yeah, but it's a really good voice cast. Like, you, um... Uh, Kaylee Cuoco is a bit off-putting at first as Harley, but she really gets into it as the season goes along, especially by season two. Um, Lake Bell is fantastic as this sort of deadpan version of Poison Ivy. Alan Tudyk has, is all over the place. He's playing Clayface. He's playing the Joker. Diedrich Bader is back uh, after he played him in uh, Brave and the Bold. He's back as Batman. Um, Christopher Maloney from SVU is playing this drunken, like, deadbeat Commissioner Gordon who's just, like, one of the th- things is, like, there's a bit towards the end of season one where he's trying to get a t- get to use a tank. He's like, oh, crap. And he's talking to Batman, and Batman has to tell him, no tanks. I ain't fine, Dad. <laughs> um, oh, God. What's her name? Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, ah, oh God. She's like, I think she's from Martin. Um, God, I, uh, Tisha Campbell Martin. Uh, uh, she's from uh, Proud Family, and I think she was on Martin. I'm like, yeah, Tisha Campbell Martin. Um, was it Martin or? Ah, uh, she was one of the 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 the, the rock girls in uh, Little Shop of Horrors. I forgot that. Huh? I need to rewatch that. <laughs> Going back to Howard, but yeah, she was on Martin uh, as Janet Marie Johnson Kyle. Uh, my wife and kids with uh, Damon Wayans. Um, apparently, she was on Doctor Ken. And uh, she's been in all three House Party movies. So, yeah, um, I know her from the... Was that Proud Family? I think that was Proud Family. 
Hold on. No, she showed up on the Proud Family. Who am I thinking of on the... Uh... Was it... Hold on. Paula J. Parker was the mom on Proud Family. But Tisha Campbell, Mart Tisha Campbell Martin does show up on an episode. As did so many other black... Like, um... I don't. I, I I try not to go too off on a tangent, but uh, go watch Toonrific Tariq's T A R I Q's uh, breakdown of uh, the Proud Family. It's amazing. Paula J. Parker was also on the Weird Al show, apparently. Huh. Anyway, back to back to Tisha Campbell Martin. Uh, basically, she plays a sort of Ricky Lake, um, Jerry Springer style daytime talk show host. And she's just recurring throughout the series, and she's great. Um, Tony Hale plays Dr. Psycho, who is this douchey... Uh, like, his his main introduction was calling Wonder Woman the C-word. Uh, and he continually does that. He's this misogynistic little troll who always gets the cra gets crapped on. Uh, Ron Funches plays King Shark, who's this hacker, dorky shark character. Uh, like I mentioned, Alan Tudyk plays Clayface, who is an overacting <laughs> character. And whenever he has to uh, disguise himself, he's always like, What's my motivation? I need a backstory. <laughs> and it's, oh god, he's so great. Uh, JB Smoove plays this original character who it took me a while to get into, but uh, Frank the Plant is this Audrey Two style living plant that uh, is essentially roommates with Poison Ivy. And Smooth is fantastic, so he helps make the role. But, um... Uh, and then the last, like, main character is... is uh, Jason Alexander plays a character I'd never heard of, but is from the comics, Cy Borgman. He is an old ex-CIA guy who is now, like, all cyborged out, and he was introduced in the Harley Quinn comics, and now he's basically their landlord. And Jason Alexander is great. Uh, he, does it, he does it with an old Jewish accent. He, like, he's from... You know, like he, like he's one step away from being Bernie Sanders. He's that. He's this voice. Um, but in terms of like re recurring characters, Rachel Dratch shows up a couple times. Giancarlo Esposito is Lex Luthor. Uh, Wayne Knight is the Penguin, who is Jewish and also uh, and like his first introduction is having his nephew's bar mitzvah that Harley Quinn uh, crashes. Um, You've got Alfred Molina as Mr. Freeze, Jim Rash from Community as the Riddler, Will Sasso is this character I've never heard of, but is apparently from the comics as well, Maxi Zeus, <laughs> Wanda Sykes is the Queen of Fables, uh, Jacob Tremblay plays Robin, <laughs> Jacob Tremblay being the little kid from the room, and he plays Damian Wayne Robin, <laughs> he's fantastic, uh, Nicole Sullivan shows up at one point, Jessica Walter is Granny Goodness, oh my god, um... Frankie Muniz shows up as himself in one bit. Susie Nakamura is there. Rhea Perlman. Uh, Natalie Morales. Who do I know her from? Mm, doesn't seem familiar. Uh, she's Lois Lane. Howie Mandel shows up as himself. George Lopez shows up as himself. Uh, Jamila Jamil is Eris, the goddess of Discord. Susie Essman is... Um, it plays uh, Harley Quinn's mom. Charlie Adler is her dad. Uh, just just a great support. Phil Lamar is Black Manta and Lucius Fox. Sanaa Lathan is Catwoman in season two. It's just so good. Uh, it gets And it gets so much better as the series goes on. Because the first season is just Harley trying to establish herself as more than just the Joker's former girlfriend. And trying to, you know, gain some 
seriousness as a as um a villain meanwhile uh, uh poison ivy starts dating kite man who is like the one of the best characters in this he's such a dork but he's like him and his and uh ivy's relationship is so sweet uh especially in season two and when they um get engaged and they're planning a wedding it's really sweet uh the good the the writing gets way better. Uh, oh, also, uh, Michael. I forgot this. Michael Ironside plays Darkseid, and it's fantastic. Uh, Darkseid shows up because Harley Quinn s- decides to team up with Darkseid in order to prove she's a tough villain, <laughs> and it's and and uh, it's it's really interesting. That's all in season two. Um, season two, I think, is even better than season one because basically, season one leads into the collapse of Gotham City, and so then afterwards, Gotham City like Saints. Row style is, uh, or um, Grand Theft Auto style is carved up into these villain uh, sections, and Harley has to defeat each of the villains. Uh, Bane, uh, who is also an amazing character in this, uh, Two Face, played by uh, Andy Daly, and Riddler and Penguin, and Mr. No, wait, it's Penguin, Riddler, Mr. Freeze, Bane, and Two Face. Yep. Uh, Mr. Freeze being, of course, just the best character ever. Just his ever since Batman the Animated Series reinvented him, he's just been the best. Um, and uh, Rachel Dratch plays Nora Freeze, who actually it's a very interesting twist on the on that whole bit. But uh, it's really, uh, but yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, they actually do a bit in the second season where they make fun of Snyder Cut DC nerds, who are it, like the episode opens up. With two nerds on a couch, uh, and one of them's like re- has a release the Snyder Cut shirt. And it's like Harley Quinn is such a stupid show. It's just this female empowerment SJW virtue signaling garbage. Here, I'll prove it to you. And the one and his other and his friend is asking him like, "How do you know all this if you haven't watched the show?" I watch it, but I don't like. I watch it so I can hate it. And so it's like, here, look, this episode does not feature Harley Quinn. Okay, we'll watch. And it's like, it's such a dig at those douchey part of the fan base, and I love it. Um, But yeah, uh, Bane in this is played by uh, James Adomian, who I'm not familiar with. Apparently he was a, he's a stand-up, he's on Chapo Trap House, Last Comic Standing, he did, has bits with, he's done stints on um, Late Night Talk Show. Apparently he used to, used to impersonate George W. Bush. But uh, all he all he does is imitate Bane from Dark Knight Rises. So all he does is talk like this, but he does it without mundane corporate villainy. You know, like he just wants a working office chair. Yes, he will. And if you screw up his smoothie order, he will blow you up. You know, there's just constant references to the Dark Knight Rises, but it's classic, like, um. Bane. It's it's the classic like comic Bane look, and it's just like, oh yes, that I was born in darkness, but that does not mean I like to be in your shadow. It's just and he like runs a prison, but it's like a feel good like actual rehabilitation cl- uh, thing, but it's still at the bottom of a pit. It's it's beautiful. I love these these the people making this show are such DC nerds, and they subvert everything about it. it's just a great subversion and just like poking fun at the dc universe and i love it and i highly recommend it especially and like especially uh by the you know as season two goes on they explore uh harley and ivy's relationship and so it's really interesting and i'm very interested to see uh how season three starts 
because yeah, I'm I'm hooked. I'm hooked. I love it. So yeah, now we're going into the rewatches. Uh, I rewatched Chowder. It's I love it. Um, oh god, who's the creator? He just he went on to do um, Harvey Beaks for Nickelodeon before they just you know buried that. C H Greenblatt. Um, he's in charge of the new uh, remake of the Hanna Barbera universe, Jellystone for HBO Max. Um, he's also uh, w- he's also worked on uh, Billy and Mandy and SpongeBob, but his main uh, his first show was Chowder. He tried to do Harvey Beaks for Nickelodeon before they buried it, and that now he's going to be running the new Hanna Barbera, uh, you know, Yogi Verse sort of show over on HBO Max. But um, yeah, I dug it. Uh, you've got Dwight Schultz from uh, who played uh, Madman Murdoch. What was it? No, uh, was it Face Man? Howling Mad Murdoch from Eighteen. Uh, as Mung Dahl, and he's great. Uh, Tara Strong uh, as Truffles is fantastic. The the cast on Chowder is excellent. And, like, what's interesting is that the girl who played um, Panini went on to voice... um, uh, Oh, God, what's her character's name in... uh, She's in Bravest Warriors. um, Beth Tezuka. Uh, in Bravest Warriors, and she's great in that too. But here, she's just—I just love Panini. Panini and Chowder's relationship is my everything. And I like—I'm not gonna lie to you—I had like full-on Tumblr re-envisioning sequel series bits thinking about it after I watched the show. Um, but it's got—it seems to be a little Ren and Stimpy influence. They have those kind of uh, old-style cutaway gags or zoom-ins that Ren and Stimpy made famous. Um, everybody's named after food, so you've got Panini. Chowder, Mung Dahl, Schnitzel, uh, Truffles, Kimchi, the uh, sentient cloud of fart gas, Gazpacho, uh, Gorgonzola, Endive, Kiwi, Ceviche, Pate, Chestnut, Reuben, Mr. Fugu, and Hoagie. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, and once again, the, the voice cast, you've got uh, Kevin Michael Richardson, wait, Okay, no, he was voiced by Kevin Michael Rich. I was about to say, Kevin Michael Richardson didn't voice Schnitzel. Apparently he did in the pilot, and then John DiMaggio took over. Um, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> just rada, 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 um, Dana Snyder from Aqua Teen Hunger Voice, voice, voice vo- uh, voices Gaspacho. Um, Mindy Sterling from uh, Austin Powers voices Miss Endive. And then you've got, um, uh, you know, recurring guest stars like Tone Loke um, guest starred as the original voice of Chestnut before being taken over by John DiMaggio. That would be one to bring in uh, Kevin Michael Richardson, I would think, but I guess John DiMaggio is already there. Uh, Paul Rubens plays Ruben, the the pig con man. Uh, George Takei plays the uh, valet for Mr. Fugu. Diedrich Bader is the is the lead is the police chief of Marzipan City. Their their city is Marzipan City. It's it's I love it. And then but then all of the all the food they make is fake, like froggy apple crumple thumpkin and uh, sing beans and uh, uh, shmina uh, pin, uh, uh, see oh god what are the, what are the, some of the what are some of the uh, Hold on. I'm, where's the episode list? There we go. 
chatter episodes. Uh, let me get some of these names. Uh, Burple Nurples. <laughs> Cinnamini Spice. Um, Meveled Eggs instead of Deviled Eggs. Ella Melons. Uh, what else? Um, ah, God, what's a good one? Uh, Meaches instead of Peaches. Uh, grapples they had, which are an actual thing. Or no, I think they made it grapples instead of grapples. Because grapples are a real thing where it's a splice between grapes and apples. They're not bad. They're basically like sweeter apples, essentially. Um, uh, da, da, da. Oh, uh, they have Knishmas with Knish Kringle, the, uh, their Christmas episode, where they make Schminger bread houses. Um, oh god what else uh, wonton bombs that's basically yeah wonton's a real thing uh, da, 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 da. What's, what's another one come on uh, lolly stops uh, ba, ba, ba. come on what's one more I need one more um But then they'll have like grapes, so it's it's hit and miss, like how seriously they're gonna take it. But um, it I, I dug it. Uh, I do think it kind of went as it went on. It got really um, like there's season two is probably the most problematic because then you have Rob Paulson doing an Indian accent and singing an Indian song about where he's and it's just a small bit that's just thrown in, but um. Then there's a whole bit where they make fun of kung fu movies, but everybody speaks with the you know with the with the Asian accent um, while doing it. Um, there's a bit where I want where uh, they bring in um, what's his name? What's his name from freaking SNL? Hold on. What's his name? Oh God! What's his name? Hold on. Uh, bah, bah, bah. it's the Great Worm episode. Here, let me pull up the IMDb. That'll list it. Um, ah, ah, God, it's on the tip tip of my tongue. What's the guy's name? Why can't I remember? Bobby Moynihan. So yeah, they bring in Bobby Moynihan to do a very stereotypical black woman's voice as the um, voice of the grape worm. And it's just really... And it's not even a funny episode. It's just, why is this here? And why is it Bobby Moynihan doing a really offensive accent? It's just really bad. And then by season three, it's half as long and not as fun to watch. Even the finale, um, which I had hopes for because it showed future uh, Chowder and, like, shows what would, what went on in the future. But the future's kind of depressing and not very fun. So that's why I started thinking, well, what if it was more like this? And so I had this whole idea where Chowder and Panini took over the uh, restaurant, the catering service, had a bunch of kids. Instead of having, like, 500 kids, they just have, like, six so you can keep track of them. Um... But yeah, then it, and then it was more that way. It was more interesting. 
it just, I don't know. It, it The finale kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but the first season especially is the most iconic and probably the best of the series. But and for the most part, it does hold up. It's just those later seasons never really, never really do as much, never really work as well. Uh, I also rewatched Kung Fu Panda. It's gorgeous, uh, great cast. It's I love the whole premise of this fanboy becoming one of his hero, one of the heroes, and then uh, how it ultimately becomes about how not to judge a book by its cover, and that there are no accidents, and that the your you know your path is what you make of it, and that to never give up on yourself. And what's interesting is that it isn't until Shifu begins to train Pe- uh, Poe the best way. To, in his own unique way, as opposed to the traditional rigid style of training he already gave the Furious Five. So it's like he realizes that using the Furious Five training isn't going to work. So, like a good teacher, eventually, he when he's not trying to get Poe to leave, he realizes that the best way to train Poe is what works for Poe, which is food. So food works for Poe, so use food to help train Poe to use Kung Fu. And that works. It becomes a better Kung Fu uh, art, uh, you know, uh, artist, however you want to call it. Uh, he becomes a better Kung Fu fighter than uh, than he did, was before because po, uh, Shifu used what worked best for Poe. But, um, you know, and then of course the overarching theme for the villain, which is never to raise your expectations so much that the any, any sort of... Um, uh, you know, anything, you know, any sort of, uh, deviate, you know, anything, uh, God, what's the best way to phrase it? What's that term? Um, where it's, you know, you don't want to get your expectations so high that any sort of setback is seen as a failure, you know? So, you know, it, 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 his, um, his arc is really interesting, uh, Tai Long's, and Ian McShane is so good as Tai Long. Just, Honestly, one of the best DreamWorks uh, movies, and I'm very curious to see how the sequels hold up. I guess my main uh, gripe is that the Furious Five never feel any more than their uh, guest voice actors. I guess like, you could say that for everything. Like uh, the only ones who really shine in this are, um, oh god, what's the guy's name who played uh, Ugwe? Uh, but Dave Dustin Hoffman is great as Shifu. Uh, Ian McShane is great as Tai Lung. Um, Randall Duke Kim is fantastic as Ugwe. Um, oh my god, he, he did play Gohan in Dragon Ball Evolution, Goku's father. Jesus, I forgot, I had forgotten. My god, I'd forgotten. Um, but yeah, uh, all, all of these, uh, you know, actors are fantastic, but it, Crane just feels like David Cross, and Monkey just feels like Jackie Chan, and Angelina Jolie is okay as Tigress, but there's not, we're not really given any, Seth Rogen, Mantis is just Seth Rogen, but it, it, it feels like they could give them more, like, Lucy Liu seemed to have been given a more interesting plot line, where she seemed to have, like, they, it makes it seem like they, she has a crush on Poe, I think? Because there's, like, a bit in the end credits where, like, she kisses Poe's stand-in. And, like, she's the first one to be really nice to Poe. And kind of the only one to be nice to Poe initially. And so, like, I don't know if they were going for something there. But the Furious Five are just... 
stand-ins for their celebrity cast. It really, it's the weak. They're the weakest part of this entire trilogy, from what I remember. But yeah, Kung Fu Panda is still great. Uh, what's up? You know what else is still good? Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is still very good. Nothing to be. I talked about that like I think three times, maybe twice, at least twice on here. So Jurassic Park is still good. Um, I watched it with my nephew uh, to test out the uh, new home theater. And then we followed it up with The Lost World, and both of us were kind of disappointed. We love Jurassic Park. I was raised on Jurassic Park. It was the first movie I saw in theaters because I was a freaky little dino kid. And um, and, th- and the sequel, my main gripe is that uh, everyone is written to talk like Ian Malcolm. Everyone's talking really fast, and da-da-da-da-da-da, and then everybody's talking over each other. So And then what worked about Ian Malcolm in the first movie was that he was the smarmy, smart-aleck, cynic amongst these more straight-laced, you know, not, you know, non-comedic roles. He was more of a comic relief than anything else. And so now everyone's talking like him, and he's forced to try and be the straight man while still delivering clips, quips, and it's just like, it's not fun anymore. It's badly written, honestly. And I, I wrote about this on Letterboxd, how it kind of... It kind of says something when Steven Spielberg cared was more interested in making Amistad than Jurassic Park than Lost World, and he even admits that he didn't give his all into this one. And so this one is definitely lower quality. But even like from the book perspective, the book sequel came out because I think it was Random House, but whoever the publisher was told Michael Crichton that he needs to write a sequel because. thanks to the movie, the book is selling like hotcakes. So it's like, we need a follow-up. We need a sequel. So he pumps out this sequel where Ian Malcolm, who died in the first book, is somehow miraculously back to to star in the sequel. And it's, I don't know if the book is any good, but but the movie is definitely a step downward. I will say Pete Postlethwaite, the late, great Pete Postlethwaite, is fantastic as Roland. I completely forgot that, uh, that Malcolm, uh, that Malcolm uh, Hammond's nephew, the one in charge of Injun, has been, was there the whole time. I could have sworn that was uh, some other character, but yeah, Ludlow was there the whole time. Uh, the heroes are actually really annoying. I kind of care more about the Hunters team because at least they're not annoying. Uh, I don't like Vince Vaughn, uh, not his character. At least his character is kind of a smarmy. His character is kind of like the Ian Malcolm, where he's the smarmy comic relief dick. But uh, he, it's not as good. The daughter is okay like the actress is okay the daughter herself feels horned in because um she was you know being gotta have a kid in there just like the first movie where there were two kids in there so every movie's got to have the two kids or, or a kid or something like that and the kid in the third movie i remember liking a lot more than her but i think she was given a bad rap because she was essentially trying to be a little mini malcolm and so she's constantly trying to be Mal, you know, match Malcolms with Jeff Goldblum, and it's just like, I'm oh, I'm I'm Ian Malcolmed out it with the Lost World. I'm done. But uh, yeah, it's it's the not to mention the fact that the kills feel dumber because um, like Peter Stormare, his death scene by the compies, great. How he got there, stupid. Uh, how they had a Bob Bakker stand-in who was great until. He was suddenly afraid of snakes, and just so we could get one last kill with the T-Rex before San Diego. 
And then it's just, it's just like so many. And then like the Velociraptor scene, they had this great scene where the Velociraptors are surrounding the hunters in the long grass and they're getting slowly picked off. And it's a great shot of like all of them being coming from every angle. And it's great. And then it's followed up by um, Kelly, uh, Malcolm's daughter, killing one of them with gymnastics. So like... All of the moments of greatness that are there are undone by the moments of stupidity. And whereas the first movie at least had the overarching theme of, you know, you can't plan for everything and, you know, the dangers of stretching capitalism and um, going too far uh, are there to, you know, to follow. It's not great, but they're there. Those themes are there. What is the point of this movie other than we like people like Jurassic Park. Let's make another one. Like that seems to be the only point they were trying to make. With like even Jurassic World had more points to make than this movie did. So yeah, the San Diego scene is hit and miss. Uh, I one thing I've always noticed. Uh, I never noticed the. Um, oh God, what Shakespeare was it? It wasn't Hamlet. That was uh, Last Action Hero. Was it? Uh, what was the Arnie Shakespeare this time around? Um, Oh, God. I think it was Macbeth. Arnie's, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Macbeth. They had a Tom Cruise parody. And then the main one I've always noticed is called Jack and the and the Bainstalks. B-E-H-N-S-T-A-L-K-S. I have no idea what it's a reference to, but it's a parody of the Robin Williams movie Jack. And I don't get the joke, but it's all, that's, the first, that's the only poster I've ever noticed in that blockbuster where the bus crashes. So yeah, the San Diego scene is kind of hit and miss. Uh, I get it. I mean, it's a kaiju scene, so it's fun. But like, other than that, it's it's kind of a dumb scene. And like everything in this movie, it's just kind of a slight disappointment. So yeah, The Lost World Jurassic Park does not hold up. Surprise, surprise. At any rate, that's all I saw this week. I'm going to try and catch up on a bunch of stuff. Like Black is King has been... Uh, I've been one meaning to watch. And then a whole bunch of other stuff. I've been meaning to watch Radioactive, the Marie Curie movie. So I'm hoping to get a chance to watch those uh, at some point now that my big project is done, which after this break, we're going to talk about. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, it's time to announce my big projects that I've been working on. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Melody. I'm Max. I'm Dexter. I'm Diana. And I'm John. And together, we host the book review and discussion podcast, Living in the Stacks. Every two weeks, we take the time to read a book and then meet online to discuss it. We'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and if we'd read the book again. Whatever the genre, whoever the author, whether it's good or bad, we'll read anything once. So if you want to join us, you can find us, Living in the Stacks, available through Gumby Cat Networks. In my post last week, uh, as of recording this, the uh, for the my first for the first week of August, I mentioned that I've been working on a, something, and this week I'm going to premiere it. In fact, I'm hoping to get them recorded and premiered along with this week's episode. So hopefully, if you're seeing this, you're also seeing the other the four pilots that I have produced for four separate retrospective series that I want to work on. 
The only way to make those happen is through fan support. So if you're listening to this and you want to help out the show, go listen to these episodes and contact me on email, social media. I'll get into that later, but here are the four pilots. First up, for the third time, I'm going to try and get Hail to the King made. Hail to the King being my Godzilla retrospective series. I've tried it twice already. The first time, I actually had some videos made back when I was making uh, vid- vid- re- movie uh, video reviews. Uh, those are up on Daily Motion under the Solitary Nerd. I got from Godzilla uh, up to King Kong versus Godzilla, so only four episodes in. But if you want to watch watch my first attempt, they're there on Daily Motion. Uh, for th- for the second attempt, I made it just a letterboxed thing. I recorded my results on Letterboxd, and I think I recorded them on Stardust. Um, that was going to be in the lead up to Godzilla King of the Monsters. Here, I'm taking my sweet time. I'm just going to do it at my own pace. Not going to rush it and try to lead it up into anything. That's my main takeaway from this. It's not trying to rush it, but to take my time with it. And so this time around, it's just going to be the initial movies, because the first two times, I wanted to include the Hanna-Barbera TV series as well as the uh, TriStar TV, st- TV series for Fox. Um, they're not going to be part of this. This is just going to be the movies. And so it's going to cover Godzilla up through Godzilla King of the Monsters and eventually Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong, however they're titling it, whenever that comes out. I think that's next year, but that'll we'll get to that down the road. Uh, it would, this would be fairly weekly, I believe weekly release, all of these will, but yeah, the idea is just going to be breaking down every Godzilla movie, uh, that come, you know, giving background, like for the first episodes, you'll hear me break down and cover things like finances, um, inspirations, uh, box, you know, budgets and box office, uh, tickets and whatnot, initial criticisms, a lot of behind the scenes information. So, and then I eventually break down and review the movie. So that if you want to hear that, the pile, if not now, then sometime this week, uh, the week of August 9th, 2020, the pilot for Hail to the King should be on this feed. The second series is another one that I attempted to do, this time in the lead up to Detective Pikachu. I call it Poke Cinema. It is the Pokemon movie and special retrospective series. I, tend, I wanted to do it for Detective Pikachu. I also ended up doing it just for Letterboxd and Stardust. Um, much like with Hail to the King, I actually have some artwork commissioned for this one. And, I, and during those, um, when, if this series goes live, I'm going to be, I want to make use of that artwork for it. And I'll get to show it to you. But um, this one's going to be covering all the major Pokemon uh, theatrical releases and feature length films, plus the special feature length specials. That aired. So not only will be covering will I be covering the movies, but I'm also going to be covering um, Mewtwo Returns, uh, which was a directive DVD release here in the states. Uh, Raikou Legend of Thunder, which was a part of the Pokemon Chronicles series that uh, that came out, uh, as well as the Mastermind of Mirage Pokemon, which was the 10th anniversary special, and Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution, the remake of Mewtwo Strikes Back. So I'm going to be covering a lot of stuff that I'm gonna, not as much there to work with, but I'm going to be covering every major feature length special and film. 
So that's going to be there. And that's going to include Detective Pikachu as well. So as and the eventual uh I know I think they're releasing it in Japan this this winter, Coco. Uh po- the Pokémon movie Coco. I'm sure they're going to call it something different here, but uh the new the new movie in, coming out in Japan which seems to be sort of like a Tarzan meets Pokémon thing. The trailer looked great. I can't wait to see what they do with it. This next one was another one I've had in the works. I ne- I attempted to do it in the lead up to the Peanuts movie back in 2015. Nothing came of it. I did make a bumper for it, but nothing ever came of it. This was at a time when I was in between reviewing bits. This was before I rebooted the show and made the, this podcast and started what eventually became this podcast. But um, yeah, back in 2015, I wanted to do a Charlie Brown Peanuts retrospective called this is your life charlie brown and the the whole thing is going to be covering every major peanuts television special and uh movie so we're going to be covering uh starting with uh charlie brown christmas we're gonna be covering all the way up through the peanuts movie in 2015 and that's also going to be covering and so we're not going to be covering like the miniseries like um this is america charlie brown but we're going to be covering um, all the specials, direct-to-video and television. So we're going to be covering uh, the holiday specials as well as the movies, uh, A Boy Named Charlie Brown and Snoopy Come Home, Race for Your Life and uh, Bon Voyage, as well as um, some of the weirder ones. Um, if you're a fan of... I need to check these out as well, but um, uh, Rowdy C... Um, who's also a supporter of Radio Dead Air. He does he's been re- he reviewed a couple of the weirder ones. Like um what are some of the ones he's done? I need to watch I need to watch them, but uh I'm going to be covering them in this series. I think it's .com. Mm, yep. Uh he has done what let me see his episodes. It was under his TV trash series. So let's dig into. I think it's under his TV trash, but lists. No, it's not under TV trash. What is it under? Rowdy and Friends. Is that it? Is that his weekly show? That's not that. Come on, where the? Where the heck is? Hold on. I know Rowdy covered him. Here we go. Uh, That's the podcast. Let me see. Here we go. Rowdy Reviews is the is the series. So uh, it was a short summer. Charlie Brown was one of the ones he did. Um, Where's the? Is there not a Rowdy Reviews? Rowdy Riffs, Rowdy Live, Specials, TV Trash. He he did more than one Charlie Brown, I know that. Here we go. Charlie Brown. You're a good sport, Charlie Brown. Someday you'll find her, Charlie Brown. You're the greatest, Charlie Brown. He covered a bu- he's covered the big big ones. He's you're in the Super Bowl, Charlie Brown. <laughs> um so yeah, they're under okay, they are under TV trash, but they're back in 2014. For some reason. Huh. 
I could have sworn they were recent. At any rate, yeah. So somebody, if Rowdy C's covered some of them, uh, and uh, yeah, there, there's been a bunch of these weirdo. There's one where uh, Linus befriends a girl who gets cancer. Uh, there's one where there, there's one where Linus uh, meets a girl and, and it's like a mystery girl that he tries to get to her, come to his birthday party. And that's it. And then like it opens with this weird shot of him rollerblading down the street. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of it's Flash Beagle, Charlie Brown. Back when Flashdance was the hot thing. You're in the Super Bowl, Charlie Brown. It, 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 it's the Pied Piper, Charlie Brown. It's There's a whole bunch of weird peanut specials, and I want to cover them all in This Is Your Life, Charlie Brown. And then the biggest one, and the most recently conceived, and the most ambitious, is called Disneymation. It is covering the entire animated movie catalog of the Disney Company. What do I mean by that? I mean, we're going to be covering the main Disney canon, Snow White up through Frozen 2 and beyond. We're going to be covering the Pixar canon, since that's now part of Disney as well. That's going to be from Toy Story up through Onward, Soul, and their upcoming release, Luca, and their and their future movies. The unofficial canon, starting with The Reluctant Dragon, including Song of the South, and covering up through Mary Poppins Returns. This includes things like Planes and Planes 2, Strange Magic, Frankenweenie, Mars Needs Moms, Enchanted, The Wild, The Tigger Movie, Recess, School's Out, A Goofy Movie. All of that is going to be on the, is going to be the unofficial canon. The direct-to-video sequels. From the return of Jafar up to the final one, The Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning. I'm pretty sure I put, yep, extremely goofy movies in there, too. The Disney Channel and Disney Plus original animated movies, from Kim Possible's So the Drama up to this year's Phineas and Ferb, the movie A Candace Against the Universe. The live-action remakes from Richard Kipling's The Jungle Book in 1994, which is canonically the first live-action remake, up to Mulan and beyond, because I'm sure Bob Iger's going to keep milking that cow. Plus, the newly acquired 20th Century Fox cat- uh, catalog from Hugo the Hippo, the first ever distributed movie from Fox, uh, first ever animated movie distributed by Fox, up to Bob's Burgers, the next year's Bob's Burgers, the movie, and beyond. Then, finally, the last category I'll cover before it just becomes covering whatever is new that whatever all the new stuff um and well and if i do this one once a new one is comes out in the catalog that i've covered i'll include that um but uh the final category will be the entire blue sky studio catalog so that means peanuts movie will would be in two retrospectives it would be in the this is your life charlie brown retrospective and the Disneymation retrospective because Disney and I've and I'm seeing the the, uh, the the you know I'm seeing the fruit of that purchase now because the Peanuts movie is now on Disney Plus, so that episode would be featured in both retrospectives, at least. But the Peanuts one and Disneymation wouldn't show up until probably I turn forty when I finally hit the point where uh, I cover Blue Sky. But that would be every Ice Age movie. 
Horton Hears a Who, Rio 1 and 2, Ferdinand, Spies in Disguise, The Peanuts Movie, Epic, and the upcoming Nimona, which is actually an adaptation of a webcomic. And it seems pretty good from what I hear. So that is the... So yeah, Disneymation is the most ambitious. It would be the longest running one as I would be covering stuff that would continually come out. Like Godzilla movies, they'll take a couple years to come out in between. They're not coming out regularly. Uh, Pokemon movies, they haven't been coming out. They may come out like one, one a year in Japan, but it takes a while for new ones to come out in America. Charlie Brown specials, we may not get another one, for all I know. And then, but Disneymation would be ongoing. Because no, Disney's not going to stop either making new stuff or buying out other people's catalogs. And if Disney buys out another person's catalog, if Disney bu- ends up buying out DreamWorks, then I'm going to include that in Disneymation too. Make it Bob Iger, please make the madness stop. But anyway, if you want to check out those pilots, they will be in the feed. And if you want to help, if you want any of those pilots to become a reality, the best way to do that is to one support the Patreon. And two, show, you know, send me either social media cues or messages on my email. Let me know personally that you want this to happen. And the best way to fund these is through my, I'm not going to make any extra uh, Patreon feeds for this. So if you want to make these, these will be essentially like spinoff shows from Popcorn Junkie. They'll be in separate feeds publicly, but they would be included in the main Popcorn Junkie Patreon feed. So if you want that to end, I can say this much. If you do support the Patreon and you want these shows to happen, you will get them, I'm going to say like at least a week early, maybe earlier. But the best way to do that is support the Patreon. It's at least $1 a month. I'm not asking you to do, you know, I'm asking you to do it, but you don't have to do it. The best way to get me to know that you want this to happen is to find me on social media, find me, find, use my email, let me know you want this to happen. Share the episode, tag me on social media, say, hey, here's a pilot for this uh, retrospective series, let this guy know you want this to happen. And I'll be sharing those pilots across, you know, under various tags over this week. And see if anybody takes the you know takes the bite and wants them to happen. But these are just pilots. The full series probably won't be kicked off until sometime next year, maybe later this year, depending on how soon I get responses to it. But these are just the pilots. So stay tuned to those in the main feed, and then we'll see if they go off anywhere. So that's my big project that I'm working on, and hopefully it takes off. One of them takes off at least. There's four pilots. They may not be, none of them may be picked up for all I know, so we'll have to wait and see. But that about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at gumbacatnetworks.com, which I will have to discuss that with um, my the other uh, producers at Gumby Cat to see how best to host them there. Because I do want to host them on Gumby Cat. I don't know if I want to post them on the main Popcorn Junkie feed or if I should start new series, new um, new new links for those. I'll talk to them about it. Anyway, for this show, you can find us on GumbyCatNetworks.com. Uh, 
So you and while you're there, check out all of our other fine programming. Uh, once more with feeling, beyond the cabin in the woods, the family business, uh, the snarkcast, as well as my other shows, Dungeons and Dragon types, new episode this week, as well as um, uh, living in the stacks. I'm trying to get some stuff happening. Uh, I'm going to talk to my other hosts to see if they've been able to read anything that they want to record an episode of the microfiches before we try to get back into the show proper. But uh, until then, uh, you can always check out our back catalog. Uh, I haven't been reading a lot, as you can tell. I've been watching a lot of movies and working on these projects. So, um, yeah, at any rate, uh, find us there. and if you're listening, if you're listening to us on the go, we're on your various podcast providers: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartMedia. This week, I'm going to try to get us on Amazon and Audible. They just announced uh, Amazon is going to try and incorporate more podcasting. I'm going to get us submitted there to see if we can. And I know Google Play just um, th- threw a monkey wrench into their podcasting stuff, so. Uh, if you are listening to us through Google Play, then hopefully nothing got messed up. But uh, I'm going to try to get this submitted to Amazon and Audible to get us uh, on there. But um, yeah, get us big, make sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like this show. They should check it out as well. Find us on social media, uh, facebook.com slash popcornjunkie, twitter.com at cornjunkiepod, letterboxd.com at uh, cornjunkiepod, uh, Stardust, I'm at popcornjunkie. Instagram, I'm a Popcorn Junkie Podcast. Um, I think I might share uh, that teaser art, that that art that would be for Hail to the King and uh, and um, Poke Cinema as teaser art for like this would be the logo art for that. Uh, this is your life, Charlie Brown and Disney Mation. I would need to commission new art. So if you are an artist who can draw in the Charles Schultz style or the Disney style and would like to, and you would like me to come and you want to commission and you, and you want me to use you as the commissioned artist, uh, send that information to my uh, email, which is popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you're a podcaster and you're listening and you want to join Gumby Cat Networks, uh, send all inquiries to gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com. And of course, support us on Patreon, not only to make the pilots happen and make them happen more, you know, faster and more and, and um, you know, more often. Since if I can make this a money making venture and not a money and not a money pit, then I can get more episodes out. But um, yeah. Uh, if you want, if you want to support the show, no tiers, little as one dollar a month gets you everything from suggesting Patreon content. Mar has been in Portland, and Portland's been in a been in a bit of a spot, if you haven't noticed. So Mar, uh, I'm more concerned about their safety than their Patreon suggestions. So I'm not gonna you know pump them for like, hey, what do you want me to review? You want me to review something while their city is you know going through some things. So I'm going to wait till things calm down there and that I know they're safe before I start pumping them for suggestions again. Because, <laughs> uh, fun fact, Mar has been on, like, it been on the ground during that, during the protest. So I'm more concerned about their safety than their suggestions. And Anywho, if you want to join Mar and become a patron, do so at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. And donate as little as $1 a month, and you can get access to my archive, suggest new content, help me produce help me produce more content, and I'll, I'll make sure to shout you out at the end of every episode. 
So that does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and here's to hoping one of these pilots goes off the ground, because, man, I put a lot of work into them this past two weeks. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. And as always, today and tomorrow, now and forever, Black Lives Matter and trans rights are human rights.